well, I thought they were, I thought they were saying that I was the greatest gift. <laughs> I didn't know we were talking about Jesus. Oh. Well, I would love to read our uh, passage for you this morning. For those of you who don't know, my name is Pastor Jason, um, and yeah, I'm relatively new here to Friendship Church, and it's so great to see so many uh, new faces and, and old faces, and not old in the age-wise, but old like I've seen you before. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> well, all right. We're going to be reading uh, from the Gospel of Luke, and uh, this is Luke chapter 2. Uh, verses 8 through 20. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away, from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The word of the Lord this morning. You know, the theme of our sermon series has been the unexpected expected. For hundreds of years, God's people had been clinging to the hope of God's promised Messiah, a king who would come and reign forever, a, a king who would rule honorably and rightly, a savior who would set them free from oppression. These were some of the things that were expected of God's salvation. Yet, even as we just heard in the story that we read, this king came in such an unexpected way. It wasn't just that he came in an unexpected way, but the implications of his coming were also unexpected. See, this gift that God had given humankind was far greater than what anybody could have expected. The expectation was for the Messiah to save God's people from physical oppression and for the political nation state of Israel to know peace on its borders. That's what the expectation was for what this Messiah would be. But when Christ came, he blew that out of the water. He came to save God's people from spiritual oppression to save us from being enslaved to sin and death. And he established a renewed group of people as his people, the church. And in this Christmas story from Luke's gospel this morning, we get a glimpse of the beginning of this unexpected work. I mean, God tends to do that, doesn't he? Has anyone ever experienced that where God acts in a way that you couldn't even imagine? 
That's just, that's just what he does. He, he always acts in accordance with his character, with who he is. God is always good. He acts in his goodness, in his grace, in his mercy, in his justice, in his righteousness, his wrath, his holiness. He acts in accordance with, that, with his character, but how he acts can often surprise us. And for a Christian, this surprise instills a sense of awe and wonder in our hearts. And so this morning, I just have one question for us uh, to ponder with one another, and that's this. Will the wonder of Christmas lead you to a deeper faith? Will the, wa- the wonder, the awe, when, when, when what we expected uh, came in an unexpected way, will that wonder and the awe of what God is doing, will that lead us to a deeper faith that ends up glorifying God? And so I want to just ask that question. We'll look at the passage a little bit this morning, and uh, hopefully we'll see the wonder of Christmas, and uh, we'll leave encouraged to glorify God in our lives and to have a deeper faith. And so would you just pray with me once as we dive in here? God, we thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus. We thank you for your love that you extend towards us that we don't deserve, yet you still do it anyways. Jesus, we thank you that you came and you were born in a manger and in just such a lowly place. You gave up all of heaven to to save us, to to live among us, and to bring us new eternal life. We thank you, Jesus. We pray that as we encounter you in your word this morning, Holy Spirit, you would penetrate our hearts and instill in us a sense of awe, a renewed sense of wonder at a God who blows our expectations out of the water. And we pray that we would leave praising you and glorifying you in all that we do. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Will the wonder of Christmas lead you to glorify God in your life. When we look at, at this passage, if you have your Bibles, you're more than welcome to open up to Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. If you look at this passage, it's sort of broken up into two sections. The first section is God's word revealed, right? Coming to the shepherds, revealing what's happening. And then the second section shows all the responses, how the shepherds go and how Mary responds and how the people respond. And so it's revelation and then response. That's how this is broken up. But um, so so we'll start in in, uh, uh, the first section, which is the revelation of God's word that instills wonder, it instills awe in us. That's verses 8 to 14. But I want to point something out about this section. If you look at verse 7, right before it, it tells us that Mary gave birth to Jesus. And then if you skip our section and go all the way down to verse 21, it says Jesus was then circumcised on the eighth day. And so if you take out our section, if you take out verses 8 to 20, you don't miss anything. The, the, the birth story moves forward without this section. So here's, here's what's going on here. If, if you know me, I don't know, how, I don't know if many of you know this about me. Maybe you've already gathered this. I'm very long-winded, okay? It's true. If I've ever told you a story, I am sorry that I gave you every single detail. 
It drives my wife crazy. She's like, they don't need to know what color shirt you were wearing the day before. Just tell them the story. Just tell them what happened. Yeah, they, they do. Now, Luke, Luke had to be concise because when he was writing his, his gospel, there was only a certain amount of room that, that he could fit. And, and papyrus or whatever he was writing on was very expensive. So he had to be very concise with what he chose to put in. And so when he adds things that don't move the story along, they're pretty important because he chose to put those in and take up space that he could have otherwise used on other things. And so what is Luke doing then with this section, with verses 8 through 20? He must have thought that these details add something to our understanding of Jesus. Well, what do verses 8 to 14 do for us? They instill a sense of wonder at what God is doing. They, they, they reveal to us what this birth means. The angels come and tell the shepherds, this is the implications of what is happening with Christ coming. And so let's look at the wonder that these verses instill, verses 8 to 14. And, and just, I'm going to use the word marvel and wonder kind of interchangeably. So just follow along with me on that. But the revelation of God's word instills wonder. What, what are we wondering at? What are we marveling at? Well, first, we marvel at who God revealed this thing to. You can see that in verse 8. It's revealed to some shepherds. It's, it's these, these grimy, living-in-the-woods shepherds. Now, maybe you've heard before that shepherds were a highly despised class in, at this time in, in Jewish culture. They weren't necessarily despised, but, but they fell really low on the socioeconomic ladder. Yet, yet God chooses this lowly class to reveal the birth of his son to. Why? Well, Jesus praises God for this thing in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus says, you revealed yourself, God, not to the wise and to the understanding, but to the children. Because hear this this morning, God is not a God of the smart. He's not a God of the learned. He's not the God of the funny or the good looking, which is really unfortunate for me. He's not a God of the rich. Or the well-off or the have-it-togethers. He's the God who cares for the poor and who lifts up the needy. And not just the physically needy, but even more so the spiritually needy. That's what, when he reveals this to shepherds, that's what we can learn from that wonder and marvel at, at who God chooses to reveal this glorious thing to because that instills a sense of wonder uh, and awe in us at the fact that despite our sin, God would still send his son for us. That despite our sin and, and our folly, God would still choose to allow us to see Jesus, to see our need for him. And that's... That's wonderful. Marvel at, at who God reveals this amazing thing to. Marvel at the glory of God. This is in verse 9. There's this, there's this contrast here. The, the shepherds are watching their flocks at night uh, when it was dark out, contrasted with the glory of God shining forth all around them when the angel appears. Right? The night almost represents our, our spiritual darkness, our slavery to sin. It's in the night that God steps in and that his glory penetrates into the darkness. 
The glory of the Lord shines into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome that light. The shepherds are struck by God's glory, by his weightiness, by his holiness. See, in the Old Testament, mention of of God's uh, visible glory was often tied uh, to, to these cosmic massive events where God was proving that he's faithful to his people. And so that's what's going on here is, is God's glory visibly being seen is, is evidence that God is faithful to provide for his people. It's like when the, when the glory of the Lord filled the temple, that was evidence and proof to God's people that God was with them. He was in the temple. He was their God. I think of uh, when God miraculously provided manna for the Israelites. He revealed his glory in ways that showed, I provide to his people. Marvel at the glory of God, that God is faithfully present with his people. He is faithfully present with us despite where we've been, despite what we've done, despite all the sin that we have racked up against him. It, It instills awe, wonder at God's glory at the light that shines in the deepest and darkest reaches of the earth and shines in the deepest and darkest reaches of our own hearts. Marvel at the glory of God this morning. I didn't know what to say here, so I said marvel at a bunch more. (laughs) I thought there's usually four Sunday services. We're doing one. So we usually do 35-minute sermons. I should get about 140 minutes, and that got axed. They said no. Sorry for those of you that wanted two and a half hours of a sermon on a Sunday morning. Marvel at a bunch more. This is going to be rapid fire. There's just too much to cover here, but I want us to see uh, some of the marvelous things, the awe-inspiring things that are going on here. And So I'm going to try to be concise. We'll see how that goes. Uh, rapid fire here. Verse 10. Look at verse 10. The angel says, I bring good news of great joy. Literally, I bring good news means I preach the gospel. That's the word for gospel there. I preach the gospel and it's for all the people. All the people there means the Jewish people in that setting, uh, which will eventually mean everybody, but when it's for all the Jewish people, what he's saying is the Messiah is here, the one we've been waiting for. God seems like God's been silent for hundreds of years, but no, he's breaking into that silence. The Messiah is here. What a time to live for those shepherds. Verse 11, there is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now this, for us, This is not groundbreaking. Um, If you know Jesus, you know that he's God, right? For them, this was groundbreaking to say that Christ is the Lord because Lord there is the word for Yahweh. Lord there is the word for God's personal name. Uh, The Israelites were expecting a human king, but here the angel says, no, Christ the Lord, Yahweh himself is the Messiah, God himself is coming. He's not sending somebody on his behalf. God himself is the Messiah. See, don't miss that part because that's, that's the unexpected expected here. This is God acting in ways that just blow up our expectations. 
Right? The expectation was God will raise somebody up, another prophet, a, another, another king from the line of David. No, no, no. It's God himself. I love that. And in the Gospel of John, it says that he came and he dwelled among us. That's God's love for us. He's not going to send somebody else to do it. It's too big. It's too much. He cares too much. His love is too great. He will do it himself. This is a major, major cosmic thing, this transcendent thing that's happening. It's the culmination of God's promises. They're being brought together by the creator and the sustainer of the universe, and yet it still has personal and imminent implications. The angel makes that clear four times here in verse 10, 11, and 12. The angel says, you, you, and, and the word you in the Greek is forwarded and it's emphasized. You, this is for you. This great cosmic huge thing is happening, but it's for you. Verse 10, I bring you good news. Verse 11, for unto you is born. Verse 12, a sign for you and you will find him. It's not just this, oh, whoa, whoa, look at that huge thing that God is doing out there. It's, wow, look at what God has done for us, for me. He'll be born in a manger. You know, God, in his splendid glory, according to Philippians, is the God who empties himself to meet us in our lowly estate and lift us up. Christ being born in a manger shows us that. That he didn't, he didn't come and, and he, wasn't, he wasn't born in the nicest hospital and in the greatest place that he, with the greatest health care, whatever. He wasn't born there. He was born in a manger. Because when the, the God who comes and doesn't send somebody on his behalf, he comes and he meets us exactly where we are. He meets us in the mud. And he lifts us up. And so marvel at who God reveals this thing to. Marvel at God's glory and, and marvel at a whole bunch more. That's just scratching the surface. You can go back and read that story later and look for more things that inspire awe in this part of the story. That just scratches the surface there. Um, and we don't have time to go into uh, any, any more there. But um, marvel and wonder at those things. And right before we move to, uh, from the revelation now into the response, I just want to point out the implications of this marvelous birth. And we see it in verses 13 and 14. If you have your Bibles, you can look in verses 13 and 14. The angels are praising God for the thing that he's doing. And in verse 14, the angels are saying, Glory to God in the highest, uh, read that as highest heaven, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, Peace among those with whom he is pleased. See, amidst all the, the wonder, God has brought glory to himself in heaven and, and peace on earth. That's the implications of this birth that the angels are, are telling us here. God is glorified in heaven because of the giving of his son and the work of salvation. As we've already said, Christmas paints this picture of a God who gives himself in order to save a rebellious 
people. And so the heavenly host, knowing that that's what God is doing, these angels, the heavenly host, all they can do is say, glory to God, glory to God in heaven. We're praising God here in heaven. And it's this awesome picture of heaven invading earth. That man, the, the skies just open and we get a glimpse into this is what God's doing. This is what's, ha- what's happening in the heavens is coming here. What God is accomplishing is, is coming here to earth. The implications on earth, if you read that close enough, you see that's heaven, glory to God in the highest heavens, and on earth, peace. So the implications here on earth right now is that God's peace would reign. And peace is is like the Hebrew shalom, which has this completeness, this this fullness, this, this, this thriving idea. Peace between God and man. Not because of anything that we've done, but because of God's grace through faith in this Savior who was born. There is now peace available between God and man where the relationship had been ruptured. Our sins are forgiven by faith in Christ. We have peace with one another among Amongst humankind, there's peace. We have peace with the natural world, and we have peace within our souls as well. That's a kind of a more broad understanding of the peace on earth that this Savior brings, the implications of this wonderful thing that God is doing. And Luke contrasts this peace with something uh, that, that people knew at the time called the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. The peace that God brings and the peace that the Romans were able to create are two completely different things. I love the way um, a scholar puts it. I can't remember his name, but I, I put this in quotation marks, so I know it's not my words. Caesar achieved the Pax Romana through conquest, terror, and subjugation. And he maintained it on the basis of systemic subordination and taxation. They were, the Romans were taxed like crazy. I mean, it's basically Ticketmaster. <laughs> Peace and war were two sides of the same coin. The only way to establish peace. Oh, okay, now uh, we've, we've subjugated another uh, border colony, um, so we're good there. Oh, wait, there's another border. Uh, okay, there's more war. That's the only way that the Pax Romana existed. It, it seemed peaceful, but they were constantly at war. The peace that Jesus brings is vastly different because he doesn't do it through conquest. He achieves the peace by giving of himself. By subjecting himself to our own punishment, it costs him his own life. That's the peace that Jesus brings us. It's nowhere near the same as the Pax Romana. It's far greater. Life can be hard. Finances can be tight. Health issues are troublesome. Kids are rebellious. Spouses are imperfect. But Jesus brings peace for those who are trusting in him by faith.
Amidst all the wonder and marveling at Christ's birth, God has brought glory to himself in heaven and peace here on earth. That's the implication of this birth. And we can end by looking at the responses to this. The, the responses that we see in this story show us what to do. Okay, I've seen the wonder. Um, I'm in awe of what God is doing. I see the implications of glory to God, and I see the implications of peace that I can have by faith through Christ. Now, how do I respond? What do I do? Well, we can see all of the responses uh, in, in verses 9 through, or, sorry, not 9, um, 15 through 20. Here's some of the responses that we see. We see immediate action in verses 15 and 16. You can look there. Right there, um, starting in verse 15. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was laying in the feeding trough. See, they took immediate actions. If, you, you can read that verse and translate it as, basically, as the angels were departing for heaven. So the angels are going up, and, and, and the, the shepherds are already looking at each other, like, come on, let's go see this thing. We got to go. They went with haste, and they sought after the baby. Like, when, when God puts something on your heart, when, when God shows you something new, act on it. Act on that. I mean, if God instills wonder in you, if God, if God shows you something, if he puts something on your heart, if, if he's calling you to do something, I mean, if you need to, pause and praise him for that, but act on it. Take that immediate action. Respond to him. Step out in faith as he calls you to. Take that action. Just like the shepherds did. They said, we got to go. That word there for um, making haste means, it basically means, I don't care what barriers are in the way, I'm going to get from here to there. That's what the shepherds are doing. They're like, no, it doesn't matter how far it is. It doesn't matter if there's a negative 30 wind chill out there. It doesn't matter if it's a ground blizzard or whatever that is, a bomb cyclone. I'm going to get there. We're going to find them. Take immediate action. The next response that we saw from them is impartial reporting. We can see that in verse 17. After seeing them, that after seeing the baby and, the, and the, his parents, the shepherds reported the message they were told about this child. They told everybody that they could about this thing. They, they didn't just tell a few close friends. They were, they were impartial with who they told. They were impartial. They, they told them everything that they saw. They didn't leave some out. They, they, just, they just went and they told it. They said, people got to know this Thing. They shared all of the wonder and glory of Christmas with anybody who would hear. And so we're called to follow that example. And when God instills that awe and that wonder in us, when we see his glory and experience his peace, we are called to go and share that. We are called to be impartial with who we share that with. It doesn't matter if you are a lowly shepherd doesn't matter if you're brand new to the faith. doesn't matter if you're young or old or good-looking or not. If you're sharing God's words, they have power because they are from God. And so we're called on Christmas to an impartial reporting of what God is doing in heaven, what he's doing in our lives, to share that with those around us.
The last thing we see in this story is a response. We see some imitatable responses here. Um, imitatable is not a real word, but I like alliteration, and so th- that's what you got. In verse 18, we see that all who heard this thing wondered at what the shepherds told them. What's important about this, this word uh, in the Greek for wonder is that it's a response to something that is incredible, uh, miraculous, almost unbelievable. But this word wonder is a neutral word. It doesn't necessarily mean awe. It doesn't necessarily mean um, this, the way that we've been using it, marvel. It, it could also lead to disbelief and scorn and fear. And so this morning, obviously, if you know Jesus, our, our wonder should lead to excitement and to praise at, at this thing that's going on. Um, hopefully, it's not leading to disbelief and to scorn and, and to fear. But, but Aristotle wrote um, that wonder, this word wonder, it sets you on the path of seeking more. And so, not just, wow, God, cool, look at that awesome thing that you did, great. I'm back to my own thing. But it, wonder means, oh God, look at that great thing that you did. Oh, it's going to set me on the path to, I want to see more. What does that mean for me? What does that mean for the world? What are you going to do next? That's what wonder does for us when we seek Jesus. Will you let the wonder of Christmas set you on the path of seeking more from God and deepening your faith? Will you let the wonderful thing that God has done in coming and sending his son, will you let that wonderful thing not be the end but the start for a life transformed and a life that says, God, what are you going to do next? How how are you going to be, how are you going to act according to your character but in unexpected ways next? How are you going to blow my expectations out of the water, God? What's next? Imitatable responses that was wonder. In verse 19, we, we see how Mary pondered these things. Verse 19, Mary was holding fast to the things that she heard because she had been pondering them in her heart and was starting to get the point. That's what that word ponder means. She'd been mulling it over, and, and as she mulled it over, she was starting to understand what the implications were. The question for us then is, do we ponder like that? Do you mull over the things that you know about God? Is there space in your life, in your mind, to sit there and go, God, God, who are you and what have you done? And just, just mull that over and hold fast to those things. Do you Do you let that seep into your entire person and seep into your life so that the implications of of peace with God and peace with others and peace within yourself, so that those implications actually take hold so that you see that as God is working in the world and in you and through you, you are experiencing that peace. We won't get that if we're not pondering, if we're not mulling it over, if we're not allowing God's word, his revelation to seep into our lives. That's ponder. That's what, that's what Mary shows us in her response to this. And then in verse 20, we see a response again from our unlikely friends, from the shepherds. 
verse 20, they, shepherds return glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. Of course it leads to praise. I mean, this is where it should, we all should have known this is where it was going. God is great, and he does great things, and, and he blows our expectations out of the water. I mean, I think some of you probably last night, if you were at the 3 o'clock uh, Christmas Eve, had those phones out, and you were like, oh, what are the Vikings going to do? What are the Vikings? Oh, yeah, right? We won! Good for you, Vikings fans. We got you next year in the NFC North. <laughs> but, right, I mean, that's, you get excited when, I don't know, you... You don't know if the Vikings are going to win or not. They are very good at losing at the end of the game. And so the expectation is, well, here we go. But they pull it off and you go, unexpected, expected, yes! We praise God. Well, we should be praising God. It's praise when we encounter something like that. The response is to praise. So as we receive God's word, marvel at it. Ponder all that he's done and that will inspire us to have a deep sense of praise for God. So how can we respond to the wonder of Christmas in a way that deepens our faith? We engage in immediate action when we encounter God. We engage in impartial reporting of God's awe-inspiring words and deeds. And we engage in these imitatable responses that we looked at, resulting in the praise and magnification of our God. This morning, I'd love to invite those who are leading us in worship up. And we can come together before the Lord in true worship and we can join with the angels from this story and sing together glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. We'll get to praise him together in just a moment. And if you would, I'd love to just pray with you right now. Jesus, thank you so much for coming. We pray that you would instill in us a new sense of awe and wonder at the gift of your life. A new sense of awe and wonder at the glory that is revealed in you. A new sense of awe and wonder at the peace that we can experience. God, I pray that each individual, each family in this room would know that peace this morning would know peace with you, would know peace with others, would know peace here on earth because of what you've done, Jesus. I pray that nothing would stop us from knowing your peace, from knowing your true abundant life this morning that you have graciously given to us. We praise you, Jesus, as the shepherds did. We thank you so much. We love you. It's in your name we pray.